Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Joe Biden has sold off more of our oil reserves than every U.S. president in history combined. If Congress were to pass H.R. 21, the president would veto it. Now House Republicans are using their n- narrow majority to force the American people to pay higher gas prices. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Today I'm announcing that the United States will be sending 31 Abram tanks to Ukraine. The only way to lasting peace is to make it clear to Putin that he will not win on the battlefield. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Congress set to vote on new restrictions for our strategic petroleum reserve. The White House says it'll only send gas prices higher. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as we zero in on the energy showdown this week in Washington in a conversation with Bob McNally of Rapidan Energy, the author of Crude Volatility. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy spikes two prominent Democrats from the Intelligence Committee. He'd like to make it three. We'll have more on the drama in the House. And the tanks will roll in Ukraine. From Germany and the U.S., Bloomberg national security expert Nick Wadhams will have the latest and we'll review it all with our panel. Bloomberg politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, alongside Republican strategist Matt Gorman of Targeted Victory. Today's Bloomberg government energy briefing lays it out. As usual, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve emerging as an early battlefront for the new Congress, the House Republican caucus looking to pass another bill here this week, tomorrow. H.R. 21 is what it's called that would limit the use of the SPR. Senators are pushing related legislation. The Strategic Production Response Act would, in fact, tie drawdowns from the nation's SPR. Say President Biden, President whomever wanted to release the barrels for any reason. It would tie the drawdowns to plans for greater fossil fuel development on federal lands and in federal waters. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik uh, was among the Republican leadership, held a news briefing on this today. She chairs the House Republican Caucus. Listen. Our strategic petroleum reserves oil is only supposed to be used for national security events, but Joe Biden has sold nearly 40% of our stockpile since being elected. In fact, Joe Biden has sold off more of our oil reserves than every U.S. president in history combined. Today, our crucial emergency oil reserves are at the lowest level in my lifetime. Google that. It's just... 1984, (laughs) if you don't feel old. This only days after the administration issued a veto threat. Here's Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm at the White House on Monday. Proposals like H.R. 21, which risks raising these gas prices and make it an offer to, uh, harder to offer Americans relief in the future are simply non-starters. So I'll be very clear. If Congress were to pass H.R. 21, the president would veto it. Okay, there it is. So that's what got everyone 
Wound up ahead of the briefing today, Republican Majority Leader Steve Scalise threw back at the Energy Secretary. Here he is. In the veto threat, he actually said that his policies of rating SPRO have led to lower gas prices. Now, I don't know if the calculator is broken at the White House, but since Joe Biden's been in office, we've seen a 40 percent increase in gas prices. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre back at the White House today says, no, the calculator is working and you're the one who will make gas prices higher. Here's the secretary. Prices are down about $1.60 a gallon since last summer. Now, House Republicans are using their narrow majority to force the American people to pay higher gas prices just as big oil companies are amassing record profits. Okay, we can ping pong all day like this up and down Pennsylvania Avenue. I've got the tape, but we wanted to talk with Bob McNally instead, the founder and president of Rapidan Energy is here, the author of Crude Volatility, the History and Future of Boom-Bust Oil Prices. Bob, uh, welcome back. I'm trying to figure out who's correct here. Maybe it's everyone. Would restrictions on the SPR, essentially handcuffing the president, result in higher gas prices? Hey, Joe, great to be with you. And a lot of politics going on with the SPR these days. Yes, a lot sir. Of parts. So to answer your question, no. Uh, so... Actually, um, H.R. 21 would only apply to non-emergency sales. So it basically says, look, look, if the president just wants to release SPR crude for the heck of it, you yeah. know, or Congress is going to continue with these non-emergency sales, because let's remember, both parties have thought it was a good idea in recent years to order a draining of the SPR to pay for non-energy stuff, right? Hmm. So with this bill comes along and says, look, for emergencies, he can do what he needs to do. That's fine. But if it's a non-emergency sale, you can't do it unless you get some more leasing going. Okay. So uh, just a correction on that. So I don't I- think important distinction, and I and, and thank you for it because that's a big part of the argument. You know, wh- how do you qualify? Yeah. How do you qualify a crisis or an emergency if the if the price of gas is five dollars? Is that an economic emergency? Well, it's a political emergency, right? Yeah. And uh, and uh, you know, President Biden. Let's remember the first SPR released was in November of 2021. And that was well before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, that was just rising oil. The market was just tightening. There was no supply disruption. You know, the other most other countries didn't go along. That was sort of like when President Clinton ordered a release two months before the 2000 election. So those were political. But you know what, Joe, to be fair, in March, when Russia invaded Ukraine, we had a no-kidding emergency or the risk of one. And so I think you can – he was almost justified in beginning the emergency release in March – but by the summer, it was clear we weren't going to lose all the Russian supply. Putin was able to redirect the, the, the barrels, so they should have suspended. So, look, uh, these are all these these releases have to be taken each in their own context to be you know objectively an, analyzed. This isn't going to pass. I'm assuming anyway. This looks like a messaging bill. If certainly the president says he's going to veto it, but I, it's it's unlikely uh, to get through the Democratic-controlled Senate. Should there be some new guidelines for the SPR? Is this a problem, as Elise Stefanik outlines the recent drawdown in the in the SPR? She says it's the lowest since she's been alive, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. Lowest since, uh, by my count, December of 1983. So 40 years, basically, the lowest mm-hmm. in 40 years. It's a huge problem. Let me suggest a man-bites-dog silver lining here. As I mentioned, both parties thought it was a good idea in 2017, 2018, to order a release of the SPR, to drain it, okay? 
what you could say is at least both the Biden White House and Congress are starting to turn away from that and say maybe it's not a good idea to sell this thing down. Now, Biden folks are saying we want to refill it. And we want to do it in a way that hopefully will encourage more shale production. Mm. The Republicans are saying, look, no more of these uh, non-emergency giveaways uh, unless we at least get domestic production going. The good news story here, the silver lining, is both parties at least are starting to realize it was a mistake to drain our reserve. Even though we're a net exporter of oil, the world is still dangerous. There's still geopolitical disruption risk and our economy and our our consumers and yeah. businesses are still vulnerable. Well, you heard Corrine Jean-Pierre. The White House would would disagree with you on that. They say it's not a it's not a mistake. We brought gas prices down a dollar sixty cents. Well, you know, you can argue that every which way to Sunday. They announced the release on March one of uh, of two thousand twenty two. Crude oil prices still roofed another, you know, almost forty bu- forty bucks intraday. So. The market, you know, there's no question that the release of the SPR barrels last year uh, went into commercial inventories and likely prevented a, a drop, a further drop in commercial inventories. But you know yeah. what? Now we're that much lower in emergency stocks. What if somebody attacks Iran or Iran attacks somebody else this, this later this year? What if we lose Libya? What if uh, we, just, we put secondary sanctions on Russia and lose a lot of Russia? The point is we're sailing off into very dangerous waters with, as Congressman Stefanik pointed out, much lower SPR barrels. We can argue about what impact they had on price last year. My view was all Russia. Uh, we went up because we thought Russia would come out, and then when the prices fell, when Russia didn't go out. But yeah. um, going forward, we're short. We're under. We have reduced emergency buffers. That's a fact. I want to ask you about refilling the SPR. Then, yeah, uh, it yeah. hasn't been as easy as thought. I guess uh, as we've reported, the uh, the Department of Energy. Uh, has received several offers to refill the SPR. Now that they are soliciting them, uh, two have been rejected. They've they have been rejected all in in all, and they weren't even that large. These were like I think it was for nine million or something, a three million barrel pilot program. Uh, they were rejected as too expensive for or for failing to meet other requirements. We're talking about the potential for hundred dollar a barrel crude again this year, Bob. How's yeah. the White House going to refill this thing? Well, there's a couple ways. And first of all, I think it's to their credit that they're talking about refilling it. So the first way is they canceled 140 million barrels of non-emergency drawdowns that would have taken place uh, later this decade. So that's a good thing. At least we're not going to draw down those. Now, as Mm -hmm. you pointed out, they're trying to refill. One option they have is to accelerate the return of those exchanged barrels from November of, uh, of 2021. That's 24 million barrels. It's supposed to come back in 2024. They could say, hey, we want that back sooner. So that's another option they're looking at. Finally, as you pointed out, uh, they tried this sort of test case, a 3 million barrel purchase with this new authority that would allow them to basically negotiate futures prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to get into the weeds to explain it. And that turned out to not work out too well. Uh, the bids weren't really adequate. And now uh, they're going to come back with can use the old-fashioned, just pay at the index price. So they still have an ability to refill. And they said, look, we want to refill about 60 million barrels. Yeah. I think they're going to do, I think it's more realistic to expect more like 10 million barrels this year. But they said, finally, Joe, only if oil prices get down to, you know, uh, below $70 a barrel for a period of time. So I don't think they're going to hurry right now. But they have tools to do it. Mm-hmm. They started to do it in some ways by at least canceling future sales. And I think they mean it when they say they, they want to refill. 
Bob, great to have you back. Bob McNally uh, with some real insights into this story that's not getting enough coverage. It will. This is what everyone will be talking about when they vote on this and the veto happens and so forth later in the week. Uh, Bob McNally, founder, president, Rapidan Energy. The book is Crude Volatility. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. And off we're running here with breaking news. How about it? The minute we started the fastest hour in politics, Meta reinstates Donald Trump's Facebook and Instagram accounts after a two-year ban. Did you forget he was on Facebook? I don't know. Everyone's looking at Twitter, right? You're waiting for the reinstatement on Twitter. But he had tens of millions of people watching him on Facebook as well. And so there's some significance to this, I suspect. As we consider the next move for Meta and Donald Trump, we assemble our panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano is back with Matt Gorman today, Vice President, Targeted Victory former communications director of the National Republican Campaign Committee. It's great to have you both here. Uh, Matt, I'll start with you. Is this a legitimizing factor or does nobody care about Facebook? Uh, I think it's when it comes to Trump, I think it's less about the medium at this point and more about how the message is covered, right? I mean, he's been doing his truth social thing. And let's face it, reporters have truth social accounts. They can write about what he says in there. And to some extent they have, but it's about whether it makes news and whether it impacts. It hasn't ever since he's been really banned uh, the first time. And so, you know, I, I think the bigger worrisome thing is he just doesn't make news anymore in the same way. It doesn't hmm. uh, kind of blot out the atmosphere that it used to. I think it's less about the message and more about or the medium and more about the time. What does this say about the company, uh, Jeannie? Obviously, Elon Musk got a lot of flack, although we haven't seen a tweet yet for reinstating uh, the Twitter account. Does this matter on everyone's parents' Facebook? Um, he's back. It's good news for Donald Trump. We'll see yeah. when he starts posting. He hasn't posted on Twitter yet. Um, you know, it does. I mean, you know, Meta was accused of censorship and not just of Donald Trump, but conservatives feel their voices have been censored. And so they have been dealing with that since they banned him. And again, it's not just him. There has been others who were banned who have said similar things about that. And so the question in my mind is, what are they doing to ensure sure that the reason they took him off after January 6th doesn't repeat itself. And how do they respond if and when he or somebody else says something that incites violence or other reasons they would remove him? But for Donald Trump, the reality of Facebook, I think we have to really be clear on this, is not just messaging. It is fundraising. That was a huge source of fundraising for him in 2016 and 2020. And so this is critically important for him today because he has not been able to fundraise the way he needs to for 2024 as of yet and it's still early obviously matt does this relax uh some of the criticism uh, or the vitriol that republicans have in in many cases in washington for facebook and, and similar platforms well I, I just want to point out one thing i mean my firm does political fundraising not not for trump but we do digital fundraising his fundraising has been gangbusters and it always has been and that's a large part Less Facebook, but more peer-to-peer texting and, and also email, among other things. So I don't think you're going to see some you know, cash windfall that's been held back because he's not been on Facebook. Uh, we would have seen that. Uh, but also, look, I, I think candidly, again, I think this really won't change the terms of the debate that much. But I think what I'm, again, I, not, not to be a broken record, but I'm really interested in is when he says things to be provocative, uh, but not necessarily against the rules, but to be provocative, to gain coverage, 
I tend to think it won't get the same coverage it did two, yeah. three years ago. Well, you know, Meta, Facebook, whatever you want to call it, Jeannie, has a pretty complicated relationship with Washington. Does this does this call the dogs off in, in terms of conservative criticism, or are we still going to see the, the social media hearings this year with the new Republican majority? Oh, I don't think it's going to call them off. I think they will still go forward. They will still be seeking to take action. There is obviously this there's bipartisan frustration with social media like Meta. And for Republicans, it is this fact that they the the sense that they feel that their voices are being censored on Mm -hmm. these platforms and they really want to take action on that. And of course, there are other issues as well. But but that is enormously important. So they will still go forward with that regardless of Donald Trump. and whether he's back or not. I would say this also benefits uh, Joe Biden because the reality is the more Trump, the better for Joe Biden. So if he comes on, you know, Democrats are secretly cheering this. Jeannie Shanzano and Matt Gorman, our panel for today, they're back with a lot more. And boy, just imagine the photograph. Zuckerberg, Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Maybe they'll golf together. It's the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Thanks for joining us. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. If you got the briefing I got from the FBI, you wouldn't have Swalwell on any committee. Even though we have said publicly these smears are bringing death threats, he continues to do it, which makes us believe that there's an intent behind it. The cardinal sin appears to be that I led the impeachment of his master in Mar-a-Lago. I've apologized. Um, It's been um, two and a half terms ago. I I think it's ridiculous that uh, the speaker would kick to good members who know a lot about uh, the intelligence world um, off of uh, the committee, uh, while at the same time seating George Santos and giving him two committee assignments. Santos is not on the intel committee, but you know what? Those voters elected Schiff, even though he lied. Those voters elected Swalwell, even though he lied to the American public too. It is about revenge. But we will not be quiet. We're not going away. I think he'll regret giving all three of us more time on our hands. And we're just getting started. 
Kevin McCarthy did promise he was going to do it, and here he is, the new Speaker of the House, blocking Democrats Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell from serving on the Intelligence Committee. And we'll go through the reasons why here in a moment. This is important that, uh, you know, the Speaker can do this on this particular appointments to the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, unlike most other House committees, are within the prerogative of the Speaker. So this is done. The question that will follow here is what happens with Ilan Omar, the congresswoman, uh, who he does not want to serve on foreign affairs. That will come down likely to a big floor fight. But my goodness, the drama is really getting going here. Speaker McCarthy, let's go through them now. Adam Schiff, of course, who was chair of that committee and led the uh, impeachment trial of Donald Trump. Not in the good graces of Kevin McCarthy, who says he lied to the American people. Here's the speaker. What happens in the Intel Committee, you don't know. What happens in the Intel Committee, although the secrets are going on in the world, other members of Congress don't know. What did Adam Schiff do as the chairman of the Intel Committee? What Adam Schiff did, use his power as a chairman and lie to the American public. Even the inspector general said it. When Devin Nunes put out a memo, he said it was false. When we had a laptop, he used it before an election to be politics and say that it was false and said it was the Russians. When he knew different. Got it. Okay, that's the deal with Adam Schiff. How about Eric Swalwell, Congressman from California, again, Speaker McCarthy. Let's talk about Swalwell, because okay. you have not had the briefing that I had. I had the briefing and Nancy Pelosi had the briefing from the FBI. The FBI never came before this Congress to tell the leadership of this Congress that Eric Swalwell had a problem with a Chinese spy until he served on Intel. So it wasn't just us who were concerned about it. The FBI was concerned about putting a member of Congress on the Intel Committee. So you're done. Interesting, as you heard just a couple of moments ago with all of that sound today from the House, Schiff, Swalwell, Omar held a news briefing about this. We reassembled our panel for their take. Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano today with Matt Gorman, vice president at Targeted Victory. Uh, Matt, this is the prerogative of the speaker. The lawmakers here have been booted from the Intelligence Committee say it's revenge for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Which one do you say? It's both. I mean, we, we, folks are very clear that it was unheard of uh, previously to not seat people on these committees, but Pelosi did it. Uh, and they warned that this is going to be now a standard that we will hold future uh, majorities to. And nobody's in the majority forever. And now uh, McCarthy, as his prerogative and I think is the right call, to take people off the Intel committee, ne neither Schiff nor Swalwell can prove that they can be trusted candidly with their actions over the last, let's say, four years for Swalwell. It's been a little longer. Uh, I think this is absolutely the right call. Absolutely. Jeannie, I don't have any insight into Eric Swalwell's case beyond what's been reported out there. Uh, he's been trying to call off Kevin McCarthy. His family has been getting death threats. But as McCarthy keeps saying, there are 200 other Democrats who he'd welcome on that panel. So what's the problem? Well, first of all, I have to tell you that I have to confess, I did print out Kevin McCarthy's letter to Hakeem Jeffries. Oh, it good. Is one, okay. It is one to read. Integrity matters, credibility, honesty, trust of the American people. Yeah. Um, all the while, George Santos uh, sits there. And, you know, listen, uh, Matt has an important point to make. These norms matter. 
Democrats removed Marjorie Taylor Greene. And so we knew this was coming down the pike. Um, that said, Democrats would tell you that there are differences between these cases. Putting Swalwell aside and those ties to the Chinese National and others, Adam Schiff is um, almost clearly a difference of political ideology and political differences. Democrats would tell you Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, others were removed because they made death threats against fellow House members. Mm -hmm. So I think the reality is we're going to have to have a, you know, sort of uh, coming together on when you can, if we're going to go down this path, remove people. It, if ethical character issues are going to be the mark or political ideology, those are going to be the mark. You've got to be clear on that um, because, you know, quite frankly, Schiff is one that's hard to get around. And let's not forget Ilhan Omar. Yes. She's not been removed. There's going to be a vote. But she said those things several years ago. They were deplorable. She has apologized. And even moderate Republicans in some cases are saying that this is a bridge too far for them as well. I want to ask you about her. Uh, Representative Omar of Minnesota returning to a seat, uh, so she thinks, on the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. The speaker, uh, the minority leader, rather, will, will set her up for this. Uh, the concern here is... Matt, uh, accusations that she used anti-Semitic tropes in earlier comments. She said again today, I've apologized for that. That was a couple of years ago. Uh, the Foreign Affairs Committee is not like intelligence, though. This will actually come down to a uh, to a, a floor fight, I presume. What do you think happens? Well, again, you're right. It, it is. And that's why you can't make the comparison between Schiff and Swallow and George Santos. Again, as McCarthy said, Santos isn't on the Intel Committee. And look, you know, she's apologized for some things. She hasn't apologized for lumping in Israel, U.S., Hamas and the Taliban in the CNN interview back in 2021. So, you know, it is a floor fight. You're absolutely right. But what I noted just about an hour or so ago the GOP at a conference, and they went reviewed some of Omar's statements. They said about five or six. And Don Bacon, who I was looking at very closely, he, he's a moderate Republican from uh, Omaha, right, in, in Nebraska. Biden won his district. He goes, you know, I was undecided coming into this, but after I remembered and reviewed her statements, I'm actually going to vote against her. And look, this is the standard. The, if you want to call it the Marjorie Taylor Greene standard that Pelosi started, we are now continuing. Since they started, okay. The only African-born member of Congress, though, should not be seated on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Is that a good look? Has absolutely nothing to do with where they were born or whatever. It has to do with their actions, as we stated before. Uh, Schiff and Swallow are white. They are not in the Intel Committee. Has nothing to do with heritage or where they were born. Has everything to do with their actions? What do you think on this one, Jeannie? They they are uh, very different cases here. The 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 Intelligence Committee versus what Omar is dealing with on foreign affairs. Yeah, they're absolutely different because, as you said, this will come for a vote. And we don't know yet if Republicans, if, if McCarthy has the votes to remove her. So that's going to be a big question. Already, Victoria Sparts indicated that she may be uncomfortable with it, may not support. You know, we don't know. We've yeah. got a member from Florida who is out recovering from a fall, apparently. So, you know, the, the vote's going to matter. But I think beyond that, you know, this raises real questions. Now, let's not forget, Marjorie Taylor Greene is now on this committee investigating the origins of 
of COVID. Dr. Ronnie Jackson, many Americans believe they said things about COVID, like about Jewish space lasers, which should (laughs) keep them off of a committee like that. And yet I don't think there's any serious discussion of removing them, you know. So this is the reality. And again, I do think that these norms matter. And Democrats and Republicans have to be very careful when they go down these roads because it comes back to haunt them in the end. I agree with that. And so I I wish that, you know, more adults in the room would prevail and say we should or should not be doing this. And these are the circumstances under which we should do it. That kind of conversation is not being had, but it would be very welcome. There's a lot of passion behind this one, as you can hear in Jeannie's voice. Uh, Jeannie Shanzano, Matt Gorman with us here on the panel today. Keep in mind uh, two names here. Jeannie mentioned Victoria Sparts, uh, who says she will not vote against uh this idea and Nancy Mace interesting as well South Carolina says she might not vote with McCarthy uh, because she wants to be consistent in having voted against removing Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee interesting cross currents here we'll know more about all of these in the next couple of days and we'll let you know what happens to them coming up the tanks roll in Ukraine we're going to talk about this an important update on support for the war effort uh, straight ahead with the head of our national security team, Nick Wadhams, and we'll get reaction from the panel as well. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Ukraine will get the tanks, all of them, it turns out. The Leopard tanks from Germany, the Abrams tanks from the U.S. After an incredible week or so of diplomacy between Washington and Berlin that finally unfolded today, President Biden Address the nation in a late scheduled speech. This was not on the original guidance, the original schedule for today from the Roosevelt Room at the White House. Here he is. Today, I'm announcing that the United States will be sending 31 Abram tanks to Ukraine, the equivalent of one Ukrainian battalion. Secretary Austin has recommended this step because it will enhance the Ukraine's capacity to defend its territory and achieve its strategic objectives. There's President Biden. Now, rewind to last Friday on this broadcast, Bloomberg Sound On with the former Secretary of State, Mark Esper, uh, reacting to this idea, remembering because Germany wouldn't send the Leopard tanks unless the U.S. agreed to send the Abrams tanks. And Ukraine kind of needed the Leopard tanks more. So it was suggested, fine, we'll send the Abrams tanks. And as Esper put it, park them in Ukraine for a moment. Listen, I'd send a dozen tanks and you know, park them in the western part of Ukraine in Lviv, yeah. where we're familiar with. And, and if that if that clears the way for the Germans to do what they need to do, uh, then sure, go ahead and do it. But what we need are, uh, you know, dozens, hundreds of German tanks, leopards. So fast forward to today, and that's kind of what's happening. Although we're not just sending Abrams tanks to park in western Ukraine, uh, we're putting in an order for these things. It's, it's going to be a minute while the leopard tanks roll from Germany. So was this a big political win here for the administration? John Kirby, who speaks for the national security apparatus in the White House, showed up in the briefing room today, uh, along with Karine Jean-Pierre. And he was asked about this very thing. Uh, what changed? Are you, guys, are you guys covering for Germany? Here he is. I wouldn't use the word cover. What, what this decision does do is show that how unified we are with our allies and partners and doing all of this in a coordinated way. So today you saw that Chancellor Schultz announced that they're going to provide immediately a company of leopard tanks. He's good. 
He was asked repeatedly, is this about military or diplomacy? And he said both. Nick Wadhams is here, the head of Bloomberg's national security team. Uh, Nick, hi, thanks for coming in. Uh, I'm guessing you saw this coming eventually. We talked about it just last week. Now that it's here, uh, this does look like some pretty interesting back and forth went into this. Did they finally send the Abrams tanks, which have apparently more than Ukraine really needs and they're difficult to maintain, just to get Germany to do the same? Well, I think there is a bit of that, yes. I mean, we had been hearing for weeks from U.S. officials that uh, uh, the Abrams was really poorly suited for Ukraine, uh, given all the technical challenges and the logistical challenges and the fact that the U.S. didn't have any it could give. And if it it was going to send Abrams to Ukraine, it would need to build them. And that process can take many months. Um, so what you see here is a reversal of the U.S. strategy where they said, OK, listen, we'll send you the Abrams, even if it means you're not going to get it for half a year or maybe even longer, if that means that Germany will be willing to send the leopard now. So that was the calculation that President Biden made, and uh, he's now committed $400 million uh, to do that plan. John Kirby says today to reporters in the briefing room, you don't go after a crocodile with a corn stalk. Uh, I love the line, <laughs> but he wasn't using that line last week. How long will it actually right. take to get the, the M1s to Ukraine? Are we talking months? Uh, yeah, I think we're looking at probably about uh, at least six months, uh, maybe longer. I mean, these tanks take about five months to build. Um, the, there is one factory in the United States in uh, Lima, Ohio, that produces them oh, by General Dynamics. They can make about 30 a month, but, uh, you know, that's going to take some time. So um, uh-huh. I think, you know, we're looking at about six months right now. And, and that is the uh, that is the order. We're sending 31 of the M1 Abrams battle tanks uh, over there. With that in mind, though, we have to bring a, a whole bunch of backhaul and other resources together. Nick Kirby says that starts now. We literally have to find a way to supply jet fuel uh, to them to run these things along with replacement parts and everything else. Can we train them in time for when they arrive? Well, that U.S. officials say actually is not going to be as big a problem as maybe they had uh, initially said. I mean, it certainly does feel like there was a little bit of bluffing and exaggeration, you know, as the U.S. was trying to lean on Germany to send those leopards. You know, we've spoken to some folks who say, well, maybe they were exaggerating the challenges a little bit. I mean, yeah, you know, if you're totally, you've never even seen a tank before, it might take quite some time to train. But, you know, (laughs) Ukraine's forces have shown themselves very adept at figuring these systems out. Of course, they're not going to be plucking people off the streets. They would be using uh, gunners and tankers from Ukraine who are familiar with the way that tanks at least operate. So it's not like they'll be coming to this cold. Makes sense. So it's yeah. So like if it were me, we wouldn't be ready. <laughs> I don't know, Joe. I don't know. Yeah. Your, uh, not a lot of time in tanks, <laughs> Nick. I, I will not speak for you, however. You're always good, good to us. Nick Wadhams, thank you for coming in. The head of Bloomberg's national security team. That's the setup here. I'd love to hear about it from the panel. Jeannie Shanzano and Matt Gorman are with us. Uh, Joe Biden's get looking pretty good at doing this, Jeannie. Uh, there were a lot of back channel talks he was on the phone with all of the allies this morning uh, before he added this speech to the schedule. Uh, it sounds like there was quite a bit of triangulating here on behalf of the White House. 
Yeah, I mean, they deserve credit on this. And I think he was smart to stress the unity of the coalition. This is a very good birthday gift for Vladimir Zelensky. It's about one third, we understand, of the tanks that they had requested. And, you know, I think we're hearing that the two thirds or hopefully at least some of those will be made up. But it's very, very important. And it's also an important message to Vladimir Putin. You know, this idea that NATO was going to blink, NATO was going to crumble. We haven't seen any of that. And there has been a lot of pressure on allies like Germany. So a very, very good day for the uh, the coalition here. And, you know, they do deserve credit in the White House for keeping this moving forward and together. This is getting to be a fairly predictable pattern, though, isn't it, Matt, where, you know, a couple of weeks go by and say, OK, now they need tanks. We can't send tanks. Those are offensive weapons. Then, then, well, how about this country? Well, we won't do it unless you do it. And this kind of slow roll in the hesitation, I believe, as the Ukrainians referred to it on behalf of Germany, finally gives way to them getting what they asked for. Are we going to be having the same conversation about MiG fighter jets and whatever else is still on the list at the end of this year? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to actually have these things kind of vetted, at least in the United States perspective. Mm -hmm. Look, I get it. Ukraine's going to want more and more stuff. I mean, if I were in their scenario, I'd be asking everybody for anything that would give them. And, you you know, it's always that negotiating trick. You always ask for more than you might need that second, knowing that's going to take a little bit more time. And you might get, you know, half of what you asked for. In this case, I believe what's it, a third of what you asked for when it comes to Mm -hmm. Abrams tank. So, look, I I don't mind, you know, the the U.S. And this has been praised by Michael McCall, who's the chairman uh, yeah. in the house of uh, the armed service or excuse me foreign relations um that this is the right thing to do so i think you know as long as they're vetted i think it's smart matt gorman and Jeannie shanzano and thank you Jeannie, for the reminder happy birthday to vladimir Zelensky. how about that 45 years old today i wonder what they're doing celebrating uh the doomsday clock <laughs> inches ever closer to midnight now it's real we'll have that story next i'm joe matthew this is bloomberg Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. 
One of the first things I do every day, it's probably, I hate to admit, the first thing I do. You grab the phone, right? Your eyes open. I grab the phone and I go to the Daybreak on the Bloomberg app. D-A-Y-B. Go. These guys, I need to meet this crew sometime. They do a great job. And this is the first doom scroll frequently of the day for me before I even see Twitter. Doom scroll. This is where I learn about the doomsday clock today. Moving ever closer to midnight. Coming off our conversation just now about Ukraine. Uh, This is something else. They actually put together a whole video presentation. They're coming from the National Press Club. They line up all the experts. If you're familiar with this, by the way, this goes back to the Manhattan Project. The countdown of the Doomsday Clock goes back to 1947, a nonprofit run by some of the world's most eminent scientists. This is supposed to be a simple way, okay, for you and I to know when the world is going to end. Rachel Bronson leads this whole thing. They've got the panel. There's a clock with a black drape over it. High drama. Bronson, chief executive for the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. Here she is. Today, the members of the Science and Security Board move the hands of the doomsday clock forward, largely, though not exclusively, because of the mounting dangers in the war in Ukraine. We move the clock forward the closest it has ever been to midnight. It is now 90 seconds to midnight. They pull the drape off the clock. 90 seconds to midnight. Jeannie Shanzano and Matt Gorman have the pleasure of talking with me about this, our panel today. And it does go back to where we left off here, Jeannie, to the war in Ukraine. That is the very reason that they made this move. Going back to 1947, this is the closest we've ever been to midnight? It is stunning. And and I, too, read about this this morning and it was scary. I just wanted to go right back to bed. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the, and you're right. I mean, it, it comes about in 1947 around World War Two and all the concern about, you know, an atomic war. And all I keep thinking these days, if the idea is to spark conversation, if the mm. idea is rhetorical and it's a device to remind us our, how tenuous our current existence on the planet is, you can just go to any social media site and get the same thing. So I wonder in 2023, if this is really necessary, maybe I'm just hoping we're doing better than they tell us we are. Well, when I saw the clock with the black drape mat, I don't know, that does take a little bit of the seriousness away from this, despite what we're talking about. It also cries out for gallows humor. Are we really closer to midnight than ever? Oh, uh, this is the most worthless thing I've ever heard of in my life. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just a bunch of, it's a, you know, cranks trying to you know get some attention i'm sure they're very smart people but look let's put it this way you know they were they were it was five minutes to midnight okay during the cuban missile crisis yeah so you mean to tell me that's 90 seconds away yeah exactly it's the most worthless thing how do you quantify a minute 30 seconds it makes no sense (laughs) you know it's just a way for these guys to get some attention and no offense who goes to natural press club anymore i don't think anybody did but apparently these guys do i i'm just saying but, wow! I, At least no. for free taco well, night, Matt. That's when they go to the press. Uh, gosh, well, I get these guys should have waited for free taco night. Would have <laughs> got some more uh, press. But no, look, I, I, honestly, I don't know how to quantify this thing. I, I think it's just purely just a, a thing for media attention. 
Um, and, and I just don't put much stock into it. Well, I guess, listen, I, we got him to agree on that. Nicely done. Matt Gorman, Jeannie Shanzano. Thank you both. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano, Matt Gorman of Targeted Victory here on the fastest hour in politics, Bloomberg Sound On, which is brought to you by Innovation Refunds. This is your daily reminder from Innovation Refunds that 70 to 80 percent of small businesses are good candidates for taking the employee retention credit. Don't bother trying to navigate hundreds of pages of tax code to learn if your business qualifies for ERC assistance. Let the tax professionals at Innovation Refunds do the work. Help you secure the future you want for your business. Learn more at GetRefunds.com. And thank you, Innovation, for supporting the fastest hour in politics. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. Only on Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.